if you have your Bibles, we grab them and be turned to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be one of my favorite passages this morning, and uh, I enjoy that. You know, it's amazing. Jeff asked everybody to turn around. I, I had that in my heart. I was sitting there thinking, man, it'd be good just to do like we used to and shake everybody's hands, and uh, we did not discuss that. That is amazing. That is, that's cool. That's a God thing. So we, I hope you feel welcome and wanted this morning. We're glad to have you here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us again this morning. I know we do have some folks online. So we're going to be in, in uh, 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and you can be turning to page 1,632, 1,632. That should put you uh, at or on 1 John chapter 3, and uh, I am glad that you're with, you, with us. Uh, my name is Brian Hedges. I'm pastor here at HBF. If you're a guest with us, we're really glad that you are with, with us today. Uh, we have been coming to this study of to know God is to love God. And uh, this chapter is, is really packed full of things that we need to know uh, about God. And, and the first thing that we're going to need to look at this morning is the love of God. This is, a great, this is a great passage, and specifically the love of the Father. And so if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand together in honor of God's Word. We're, only, we're not going to read very far, so this won't take long. Uh, we are not genuflexing. I just want to let you know in advance. <laughs> uh, so uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for the the praise that has been lifted up to your throne. We're thankful for where you are, sitting at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word once again as a church. We're thankful for uh, all the activities that have been perpetually going on uh, through the body this week, uh, through the building this week. Uh, Lord, most importantly, through the hearts, the minds, and the souls of your people. I pray, God, that today would just uh, continue to encourage your church, and Lord, that we would go out of here better than we came in. Lord, and I know some people have come in pretty high on Jesus today, and that's awesome. Lord, I pray, God, you just continue to encourage us and give us what we need in the midst of a world that needs hope. Lord, I pray, God, that today this message would help us just cut through a lot of the minutia of life and, Lord, get down to the things that really matter. And we just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to be looking at this passage, and, and uh, right off the bat, you see, this is probably familiar to many of you. I was, thinking, I was talking to James yesterday. This used to be a song we sang back in the day. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath uh, you know, get bestowed upon us. The song is given unto us, but bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, this is something that we can know. We know that when, <clears throat> we know that when he shall appear, we've just been talking about that the last few weeks, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John here is talking about the catching away of the church. And that one of the things that we need to be looking forward to, as we talked about last week, is this day when we're caught up. And uh, if you're filling in the blanks, the first thing that we're going to talk about is just beholding our relationship as sons of God. Beholding our relationship as sons of God. So this is the only mention of the word behold in the entire book of 1 John, which is a little shocking. John uses it quite often, actually, in his epistle of John. It's in the book of Revelation uh, it's very important in chapter 1 of Revelation, beholding. Uh, it isn't just kind of like a casual glance. It means like, get a hold of this, man. Get a, get a look at this. You know, take it in. And so this is the only time that, that John says this in the book. And I think it's pointing. It's right. It's in the middle of the book, so we're at the midway point. And he's like, if you need to get a hold of something, this is what you got to get a hold of. You got to get a hold of uh, the manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us. Does anyone, you know, when I was a kid, we had those... Uh, Hellsburg little things, people, I didn't wear them because I wasn't macho, but the, uh, my sisters did, the little pins that say I'm loved, you know, and, uh, and you know what, that's what you need to know as a child of God, you are loved, the Father hath bestowed his love upon us, now we'll talk about the us more in just a moment, but before we dive into the details of the text, I want to just kind of re refresh you on some of the overview issues, uh, because the, this only, this, this mention of, of uh, being, behold, I'm sorry, um, is found here in verse uh, in verse uh, one in First John two twenty nine. The Bible says, "You know that He is righteous, 
you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And so he, Paul, uh, John, he want to keep calling John Paul. Uh, John Paul, wasn't that a pope? Anyway, um, <laughs> so John left off the last chapter, and he was saying, uh, and as you remember in verse 29, if you, know that he is, uh, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So that's the last thing he had in his mind, or uh, is on his pen, or on his lips. And uh, the next thing he gets into is, hey, and by the way, get a hold of this. Get a hold of, of, of the love of God, because being born again is an incredible thing. Uh, John is now expanding on his thought of what it is to be a child of God. Some underst- <clears throat> He's going to give us some understanding and some things that we can know about being a child of God in chapter 3. And so I titled this sermon series, To Know God is to Love God. In 1 John 3, it gives us the heart of what we need to know about God and our relationship with Him. So the following things can be known as we behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. So there are some specific things, and I'm not going to drill down on all these today, but I wanted to just list them out so you could have them for your reference. Uh, we can know that we shall be like Christ that is coming. We just read that. We can also know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, and all these are written down on your notes in verse 5. We can know that we have passed from death unto life in verse 14 of this chapter, and we can know that no murderer hath eternal life in verse 15, and we can know that we are of the truth in verse 19, and we can know that he abideth in us. That's a lot of things to know about God. It's a lot of assurance. And you know, you noticed as Paul, or as John is writing, sorry, as John is writing, he keeps addressing little children, right? He's wanting them to know because he wants them to have assurance. And if you are a Christian, especially if you're a young Christian, if you haven't grown much in the Lord, one of the things that you need is assurance. You need to know that you're saved, right? You need to know who your Father in heaven is. You've got to identify with him. And today, the whole world is shook up over identity. We call it identity politics. You guys are, everyone's aware of it. You can't avoid it. So the whole society is being shredded in bits, right, over, over various identities and all kinds of stuff. And it's just kind of 180 degrees the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. When you're, when you're a Christian, your identity is found in Christ. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. We're not black. We're not white. We're not American. We're not Afghani, right? We're new creatures in Christ. So our identity is found in Christ. And so it just kind of cuts through all the minutiae. Right? And, and, the, and the race is Adam's sinful race. And the redemption comes through the Son of God. So isn't that simple? I mean, it's just so easy. God just cuts through everything. And so as Christians, it's nice to be able to cut through the minutiae. But that's all about identifying properly with your Father in heaven. And if you don't have assurance of who your Father in heaven is, you're going to have an identity crisis. Right? And you can see that even in secular terms. When people have father issues, daddy issues, don't they have life issues? Oftentimes that's the case, and uh, it causes all kinds of other issues when you got daddy issues. So as Christians, we can't afford to have daddy issues. What we got to do is we got to know who our father is, and we got to be resting in the things that we can know about him because we need assurance that our father in heaven loves us. So he gives us this, the heart of this book is about knowing, 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 knowing things that can anchor our heart with the father. And so that's a lot of assurance, and we need a lot of assurance. A lot of things you can especially today. Anybody need some assurance today? Man, I tell you what, I'll take as much assurance that will anchor my heart on truth as possible. So a lot of things you can, uh, you can behold about the manner and the love of the Father that he's bestowed upon us, they're all listed here in this chapter. The Apostle John is stressing uh, that we look at the uh, manner of love that he has, has given us as well. So he addresses that as well in this chapter. Uh, he obviously, I've already beat the drum and we've read about it in verses 1 and 2. He, he deals with our relationship to the Father. But we're going to see as we go through this chapter, we're not going to get it all done today. That's all we're focusing on this morning is our relationship with the Father. But as we progress through the chapter, we're also going to see our relationship to the world. Uh, and so it helps us understand how we are to identify with others, right? And so when you know how to identify with the Father, it's going to naturally help you identify with others. Your relationship with the world your relationship to sin, and then, of course, we'll get to our relationship with our brothers, which is a theme that John has been going over and over and cycling over as he's been writing this epistle. So let's behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's why we came this morning. So point A, our standing as sons of God reveals the love of the Father. He says behold, and 
and, uh, and behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The Father loved the world enough to send his Son and sacrifice for our sin. Now, I know for those of you that are like, I know that. I know. You know what? I, know, I knew that too, but it didn't change my life until I received it. Right? And so uh, that's a big deal. It's, it's not something we just lightly skip over. That is a huge deal. The Father loved the world enough to send His Son to sacrifice for our sin. Now, we know John 3.16 and 17. Before I was a Christian, before I knew Jesus, I knew John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so today there are a lot of people uh, that have a worldview, right? That, that they don't have a proper view of the Father in heaven. Uh, and they like to take things out of context in history. Uh, and, and what do they do? They, they cast stones at the character of God. Uh, but God, it's very clear that God loved the world. There's no, there's no reason to, to argue it or debate it. God sent his son to this world. That is his evidence. That is his token that he loved the world. And the father's love for us was a love for his enemies. Now, this is where it gets sticky, right? It's easy to talk about the love of God, the love of the Father, giving his son. You know why? Because it's not your sacrifice, all right? It's his. But when we, if we really want to avail ourselves of what this is all about and, and the manner of love, you've really got to look at yourself honestly. You've got to look at who you are. And, and I'm talking before Christ, before you knew him as Lord and Savior. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You didn't have to be the deepest, darkest sinner, the reality is God is, is, is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is 100% holy. I mean, he is holy, holy, holy. I mean, he has nothing to do with sin. And yet, right, and yet, he, he became sin for us who knew no sin, right? He, he did that. He imputed, as he's imputed his righteousness to us through the cross, he, he allowed himself to be counted as sin and be executed in our place. He became our sacrifice for sin. And I know these are the basics, but this is important because we were the enemies of God. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, for when ye were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So how much does the Father love us? That before we, we even had any understanding or ability to know how to get saved, you know what? He had already saved us. Before I was even born, like Jesus died on the cross for me. It was 2,000 years ago. I'm glad I finally got the news. For scarcely, the Bible says in verse 7 of Romans 5, uh, for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Right? You might lay your life down for a good guy, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You say, well, wait a minute, Brian, it doesn't say we're his enemies. Well, that's because he hasn't gotten there yet. The reality is, as Romans 5.10 says, for if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And so when we look at that and we understand that, man, God loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, right? We were at war with him. And I can, I can even remember times in my life when I, God was drawing me to himself and I was at war, right? It feels like if, if you don't know Jesus, it's like you're at war with yourself. And uh, I can remember being at, at uh, a little Southern Baptist church with my aunt. She used to take me, and, uh, and I've told this story before, but it's just, it just, just reminds me, that we're talking about this, reminds me of how, you know, I was being drawn on one hand, and, I, and the Word of God was drawing me in. And then on the other hand, I would find myself, you know, like not wanting to be there. You know, I would like, I, stay, I remember one Sunday morning, I stood outside the building all by myself, waiting for it to get over. I just didn't want to be around it wasn't because they were doing anything wrong. It wasn't because they were hypocrites. Uh, they, I'm sure there were some, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was me. I was a sinner, and I was separated from God, and I was, I was finding out that I was his enemy. My nature was against his. And, man, I'm so thankful that God was gracious to me and um, eventually uh, allowed me to hear the gospel one more time, and I received it. So if the Father was willing to sacrifice his only begotten Son for his enemies, you know, how will he reward the obedience of a son. I mean, think about that. If, if the father was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son for his enemies, how will he reward the obedience of a son? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's a good question. So the father rewarded Jesus with the highest seat in the kingdom. So not only do you have this incredible loving father, but you have this incredibly obedient 
son. I mean, what son was, is, is going to do this? Of course, it's typified in the Old Testament with Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham led Isaac up to the mount to where we find the first mention of the word worship in the Bible, there was no song service that we know of, was there? It was a time of sacrifice. It was a time of obedience and submission. So you have this loving father and you have this completely, completely obedient son. And that combination, it, you know what it, it did? God said, wait a minute, this is such a good picture. Stop right there. Go get that ram caught in a thicket. We're gonna, we're, I'm not going to really make you sacrifice your son, Abraham. Thanks for your obedience. Uh, Isaac, thank you for your submission. You've, you've completed the picture. But you know, Jesus Christ, he, he was the real deal. He's authentic. And uh, he did go to the cross for us. And he fulfilled what, man, we couldn't do. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and the Father rewarded Jesus with the highest seat in, the king, in his kingdom. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And by the way, that's just a great passage there in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter uh, uh, 10 and verse 12. Because, you know, that passage is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he said? It is finished. Right? He did all the work necessary for our salvation on the cross. He said, it is finished. He died once for sin. There's false teaching that's been around, it's been circulating around for the last couple thousand years, that Jesus is like suffering in perpetuity. He's just always suffering. And, um, and, then, and so if you hear that kind of teaching, just remember what this Bible says. And that's not the only mention that Jesus suffered once for sin. He's not perpetually suffering for eternity. In time, he selected out a space, and he died once for our sin. And at that time, you know what? When he said it was finished, it was finished. Our sin was atoned for on the cross. And because of that, he was completely obedient. He, went to, he didn't go to hell and burn. He went to hell and delivered captivity captive, and he resurrected on the third day. And now the Bible says in Ephesians, he gives gifts unto men, quoting from Psalms. And so he, he, he actually went to the third heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's seated there right now. And he is now working in and through us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's amazing. So God is much better to his children than we are to ours. Sorry, kids. Sorry, Ellen, Sam. Uh, God is much better to his children than we are to ours, right? We all want to be great parents, but at the end of the day, we fall and we fail. So that's why we got to lead our families and our kids to God. That's why we got to take them to Christ so they can have the right heavenly father, the right example in their life, ultimately, is the father in heaven. In Matthew 7 and verse 9, the Bible says, uh, Or what man is there of you whom, if a son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? I mean, even a, even a person who doesn't know God is going to try to take care of his kids most of the time. Uh, not all men are good like that, but many are. As much as you love your children, God's love for us is immensely more. And Jesus goes on to say, in this, in, this, uh, in this discussion, he says, If ye then, being evil, know, know how to give good gifts unto your children. If you're an evil man and you can still give good gifts to your children, you know, Don Carleone or whatever, whoever you are, if you can still give, give, give good gifts to your kids, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? I mean, the character is found in the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. He doesn't count us, if you're born again this morning, he doesn't count you as an enemy. Remember, this is anchoring on how he ended chapter 2. He's talking about those that are born again. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are his enemy. If you, you're, you're a sinner, and God wants to save you from your sin. That's what the Bible teaches. The gift of God uh, is what he wants us to have. So the gift, the gift God wants to give his enemies um, that makes us his sons is the gift of eternal life. That's the gift that he wants to give us. He wants to give us good things. So what is it that he really wants to give us? You know what? You know, when I was, when, before I knew Jesus, I wanted a lot of things. I wanted to be an NFL football player. I had all these dreams as a kid, you know, and I wanted this, I wanted that. At the end of the day, you know what God says, Brian, what I want you to have is me. I want you to have my son. I want you to know me in the power of the resurrection. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, what is it, class? It's death. Right? The, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So, so we understand that our standing as sons of God reveals the love of the Father. But also our standing as sons of God reveals our value. It reveals our value. 
you know, in this passage in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You mean me? Yeah, me. You? Yeah, you. If you're born again, you. There's an old poem. It used to be a song back in the day called The Old Violin with the touch of the master's hand. I don't know if I can read this properly. I'm going to put my spectacles on so I do not make a mistake, but I probably will. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What, <clears throat> what am I bid, good people? He cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar do I hear two. Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure sweet, as sweet as the angels sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now, am I, <clears throat> what now am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with his bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, make it three. Three thousand <clears throat> once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, We just don't understand what changes its worth. Swiftly came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered, bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the, master's, uh, the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. That's a cool... Anybody remember that? That was by a, a Myra Brooks Welch. There used to be a, a Christian song to that. They did a wonderful job with that. But the idea there, obviously, is that old violin wasn't worth much, was it? Until the master picked it up and started playing it. And once it was in his hands and he played it, what made it valuable wasn't the, wasn't the wood, it wasn't the strings, it wasn't the old violin in and of itself. It was the fact that it had been in the master's hands. Now, everybody wanted it. Right, it's like a, it's like the baseball that I got in my in my office. Uh, Matthew West signed it, so somehow somehow it's a value. It's sitting in my office. You know, I, what, what's the deal with that? Who's Matthew West? But it, the bottom line is that's just an old baseball, isn't it? But once someone's touched it, you know, people go crazy. You know, they want a piece of Elvis's uh, sweaty sweaty scarf or whatever. Somebody get yeah, it's just like ooh yuck. But anyway, people are weird like that. But the bottom line is, with us, we're of no value until Christ comes in us once he once he comes in us man we are you guys are valuable you are precious you are what is important you're way more important than anything else i mean in this world i just was able to share a message yesterday at the man, man meeting about uh when when uh, <clears throat> ziklag was taken over right everything was burnt to the ground and everybody was weeping you know what the what the men of that city finally understood what was the most important thing in their life was missing it was the people they loved and they had to go out, and God fortunately delivered them. We're on a rescue mission. You know what? God loves people. And man, when you get saved, you are a son of God. He has, he has more than put his hand on you. He has put his son in you, and you are super valuable. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's incredible. The us, right, and the we are those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of of the lamb how much did he pay for us what kind of love has he bestowed upon us well that's when you start talking about the price of redemption right uh what did it cost him to get us it cost him his blood we've been purchased by his blood john chapter 1 and verse 12 says but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of god even to them that believe on his name and so the term sons of God is used exclusively to describe two distinct groups of people in Scripture. So now we're going to do a little Bible study. And so, uh, so the term sons of God is used exclusively to describe two distinct groups of people in Scripture. The phrase sons of God only appears in the Scripture 11 times. Five times in the Old Testament, six in the New Testament. And the first group that you'll find in the Old Testament are the sons of God. And it's ascribed to those that are angels of God. And so the, the, the perversion uh, of a portion of the fallen angels in Genesis 6 
was reported to have corrupted the human and animal genome to the place that God brought judgment upon the planet through a worldwide flood. And it's mentioned twice in Genesis 6. Now I've got, got it up on the screen for you. Genesis 6, 1 through 5. Many, many of you are familiar with this, but perhaps you're not. Um, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1, <clears throat> it says in, in chapter 6, I'm sorry, in verse 1, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man uh, was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's always a lot of questions surrounding how did the sons of God come into the daughters of men? Um, That is somewhat mysterious, but uh, we won't get into that today. But the bottom line is their interaction, uh, leaving their first estate, as it talks about in Peter, and coming and mixing uh, like iron and clay with their human genome caused so much problem that God said, you know what, I've had enough of it. I'm going to destroy this thing. We're going to start over. The third and the fourth mention of sons of God is mentioned in Job. So after the flood of Noah, uh, we have a report that the angels presented themselves before the Lord. And when they did that, Satan came with them. And in Job 1.6 and Job 2.1, it says the sons of God gathered. And you can go and look those up on your own. I gave you the references. For time's sake, we're going to keep moving. Very clearly, though, there's no debate that in that passage. It is dealing the sons of God are an angelic, uh, are angelic host. And so the fifth and final mention of sons of God in the Old Testament is found in Job 38, 7. And it's in reference to the angels rejoicing when the Lord uh, <clears throat> laid the foundations of the earth. And this gives us the, uh, the time frame for the angelic host being created before the earth was formed. And so in, Gen- in Job 38, verse 4, the Bible says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Of course, he's questioning um, uh, Job there. Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? He's like, just tell me. Do you know anything about how I created all this? Of course you don't. Uh, Verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So obviously, you can see here a timeline. The sons of God... Uh, they're created beings. They're not eternal like God was, but he created them before he created the earth. So they were there rejoicing and singing. You also want to note the stars, because that's going to come up here in a minute. The morning stars sang together. I'll get to that in a moment. But the second group of sons of God mentioned in the Bible, well, you tell me. I know some of you are through, you you know this because you've been through Bible Institute or D2 or what have you. What is the other mention of the sons of God? Anyone want to Take a guess. You're like, not in front of 100 people. All right, then I'll do it for you. It's us. It's us. And that is, there's only two in the Old Testament. Now, some of you have been under my teaching. There is a, I talk about son of God, singular. Israel is the son of God. Jacob's seed is the son of God. That's, I'm not going to get into that this morning. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the son of God, capital S. That's, that's another series of Bible studies. But when you're dealing with the sons, plural, of God, you're dealing with angels, which are found clearly in the Old Testament, defined very clearly. And when you get to the New Testament, it's the, all you find is us. So let's take a few looks at that in the Word of God this morning. The second group of sons of God mentioned are born-again Christians. In John 1.12, we've already read this verse, I think, twice already, but repetition is the price of learning. But as many as received him, because we're beholding the love of God, as many as received him, what happened? When you got saved, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, we've already read 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, now are we the sons of God. I'll get to that in just a moment. When you got saved, you became a son of God. We see here that in the New Testament, the condition for becoming a son of God is to receive the word of God who is the Son of God, right? This is the seed of the Father, right? Jesus Christ is the seed, and he is the 
Word of God. How do you get saved? You're born again by the Word of God. So faith effectually works. Whenever you get saved, it's, 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 it's better than Moderna, Pfizer, or uh, Johnson & Johnson. I mean, it's amazing. Everybody's worried about the DNA thing. When you, by faith, trust Jesus, we're so far ahead of this, guys, seriously. When you literally, by faith, bow your knee and confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, He comes in you. And dudes, I'm just telling you, the spiritual operation that's talked about, it happens. You're, the, the Spirit of God comes in you. I, I got possessed by Jesus the day I got saved. And I don't mean just a little. I mean, He owns me. My soul is sealed until the day of redemption. So on the outside, I still look like the same old Brian, just a little older and fatter. But, the, but on the inside, man, I, I'm the new creature in Christ. I am complete, and it will come out eventually in the DNA. I'll talk about that as we go forward. So the next two mentions of sons of God, uh, the second, third mention in the New Testament re- references are found in Romans 18, 14, and 19. Now Romans 18, 14 says that we are joint heirs with Christ through the new birth, which constitutes our spiritual adoption. So in Romans 8, 14, the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so we are grafted into the vine through the Spirit of God when we are born again. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, but a new creature. So we cry, Abba right? Uh, and Father. Hebrew is Abba. Greek is Father. And uh, in, in Christ has made us one new creature when we get adopted into Christ. The Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. We are able to come in. So in Romans 8, in chapter, or cha- verse 19, the Bible says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation, here's the second mention, of the sons of God. It's all circulating around this adoption issue. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing by reason of him uh, who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, I don't know if you're picking up what this is laying down, but there is something about our redemption that affects creation. Uh, Just like there is something about sons of God that were not obedient affected creation to the point that God destroyed it. Now, those of us that are born again, we're called sons of God. God's gonna, there's coming a day where we're coming back to this earth. Guess what we're going to do at the second coming? We've already been talking about this weeks before. We're going to be delivering the planet from bondage. Well, Jesus is going to do it. We're riding along. But uh, we're the bride of Christ. But that's what's going to happen. We're going to rule and reign with him. And you know what's going to happen? Creation is going to be a lot better for it. So today, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a massive plan. It's called sustainable development to to uh, you know, take care of all these issues of environmental this and environmental that and, and just man just trying to control every aspect of everything that God has created. Guess what? It's all going to fail. But Jesus Christ, he's the real deal. He's going to come back with his church and man, it is going to rock. It is going to be, it's going to be perfect. And you know what? Creation knows it. They intuitively know it. I don't understand how God does that with creation, you know? The dogs just know where to go. Animals just know what's going on. I mean, they just know. It's like winter. Let's fly south. It's, you know, uh, it's summer. Let's go north. You know, they, God just has all that program. They, they are looking forward to the redemption of the sons of God. That's what Romans 8 is talking about and our adoption. So Romans gone, goes on to say that the creation is awaiting our physical adoption. Romans 8 teaches very clearly that there are two aspects of our new birth. So I'm not taking anything away, by the way, from being born again. I know there's some preachers that get sticky on that. I'm not adopted. I'm born again. Okay, whatever, dude. So listen, you are born again. I got born again. I was born again March 25th, 1987. And on that day, God brought me into his family. I was a Gentile. I had no, I had no promises in the commonwealth of Israel. I get all the connections of the Jewish issues there in Romans. But at the end of the day, God, he brought me in. He grafted me in. I got in, I got in Christ and Christ got in me. And so, praise God for that. So, I was spiritually adopted. You couldn't tell. Uh, you know what? I can't tell, other than the fruit of the Spirit, how many of you have been spiritually adopted, right? And so, um, so we, we trust you when you say, yo, I'm a Christian. I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, guess what? If you really have, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. You've been adopted. But that's not all there is to it. There's two sides of this thing. Because you're not just spiritually renewed. There's coming a day, and this is why we keep talking about, and this is what John is talking about in, in uh, uh, 1 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, there's coming a day when we're going to be changed. Uh, Paul writes about it clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We will be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. At that time, guess what? Your physical adoption is occurring, right? Your transformation. And so what that's simply saying is you will adopt the likeness and the, Im- the image. Christ is the image of God. Our mission here is to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. But what is the mission of God? It's to get the image of Christ, the image of God into every soul. That's when someone gets saved, the image of God comes in, and that is Christ. But we don't look like him yet. Once we get saved, we will look like him. We'll be like he is. I mean, we're literally going to be transformed at the, at the catching away of the church. It's going to be an incredible thing when the physical adoption takes place at the catching away. At that moment, we are changed physically in a moment of time, just like we were spiritually the day we called upon the name of the Lord to get saved. It's kind of reverse of what happened to the first Adam, right? Initially, it says, The day that thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And he ate thereof, and he didn't die physically. He died spiritually. And he was off hiding in the woods, right? We know all about that, covering up, doing all the things that we do when we're apart from Christ. And then 930 years later, he died physically. Well, March 25th, 1987, I got saved. Nothing happened physically, but inside I was redeemed. I was changed. And then some years later, I will be changed physically at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ or the catching away uh, when, I, when that trumpet blows, depending upon I'm alive or dead. Either way, I get a new body, and so do you if you're born again. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doesn't appear what we shall be, but when we see him, man, we are going to be rocking a new body. Amen to that. I need a new body. And the older you get, young ones, you'll know that. You need a new body. Romans 8.23 says, And not only they, but, we, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, awaiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So not only does creation want to see this, we do. As we get older, right, we start to realize it's like, oh my goodness, uh, there's something, this, uh, this unit, this carbon-14 unit ain't going to make it, <laughs> you know. I'm going to need a new body, right? These bodies are not equipped because of the, the fall of Adam. That's why we deal with physical death. But you know what? Getting back to what we've already covered in Romans, that's why God wants to give us the gift of eternal life. Oh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Why? Because not only do we get Christ in us, but we get Christ redeeming our body, not just our soul. It's a physical and a spiritual transaction. It's an amazing thing. And so Paul is teaching us that creation is awaiting the change in our physical nature. Romans 18, 19 through 21 gives us insight of the changes in the animal kingdom due to the fall. We know that the, that, that the, uh, the way that the world will uh, be upon our return indicates the way it was before the fall of Adam. And, and i got a couple passages here. I'm going to read them for time's sake. Isaiah 11, 6 through 10. This is just an excerpt of what creation is looking for. It says here in Romans 11, or Isaiah 11, verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. That's a, you know, what he's saying is the wolf's going to hang out with lamb. Today a wolf will eat a lamb, right? And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the, fa- uh, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Right, so you're gonna, the kids are going to be let loose with these animals that today we would consider to be dangerous. Isaiah uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 7, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 11 and verse 7 says, And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall uh, lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So carnivores become herbivores. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. I'm sorry, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest shall be glorious." Amen and amen. His rest shall be glorious, I should say. So there's coming a day when Jesus returns to this earth that the the whole earth responds, the animal kingdom turns over, and it's nothing like we're used to today. Could you imagine that? Isaiah 65, 25 says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the uh, bullock. The dust shall be the serpent's meat. Uh, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. 
And the, the born-again believer is valuable to creation because we are the sons of God. It's, gonna, it's amazing the impact that that will eventually have on creation because Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this earth. I mentioned that to just think about the, how that was reverse engineered. So that's, I'm sure how it was before the fall. And then all of a sudden, you know, Adam falls. The next thing you know, that, that lion's sitting there and he looks at that lamb and says, you know, <laughs> just bites his head off, you know. And so that's all a result of the sin. And man, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. I mean, he's going he's gonna to reverse the curse. Now, it's already reversed in our hearts. But literally, this is, this is going to be taking place. It's all going to be good. Don't, man, you guys need to get a hold of this thing. It's going to be good when Jesus rules and reigns. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. So we see the third mention of sons of God here in the New Testament is found in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, this is super practical. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So how do we make this practical to us? Because you're like, Brian, you're way out there in the millennium, right? I don't know when that, that just doesn't seem real to me right now, even though it could be seven years away. Um, and, and so the, the point is this, you know what, what we do right now, this is why this is part of our vision for HBF. The passage I just read is one of the mentions of the sons of God. What the sons of God should be doing right now is manifesting the light of Christ. And we do that through, that's what we're trying to do. That's why we have a Bible publishing ministry. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we do all the things that we do, life issues. That's why we take trips. We're going to Boston this week to get the gospel light going. I mean, we just want to get the light of Christ out. And it's manifest in our relationships with one another, right? And so next week, this coming week, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that, you know, part of that is us as sons of God manifesting the light of Christ is how we love one another. People know we're his disciples because we have love one for another. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, purple, gray. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. We all come together in Christ. The great unifier is Christ because he has, he has redeemed us from the curse of sin and the curse of the law. So the last two mentions that we find are here in 1 John 3 that we've already read. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore... The world knoweth us not. I'll talk about that next time. In verse 2 it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we don't, we aren't, we don't have these super tight glowing bodies and all of that yet, but right now the way people should see us is light-bearing vessels. You know what? If our gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. We need to be shining in light, like lights in a dark world. So note, the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, sons of God. The first two mentions of sons of God in the Old Testament teaches us that the fallen angelic host that conquered Adam's sinful race and brought judgment upon the world obviously were not good. The last two mentions deal with us, the, the, the born-again Christians, and only people that are born again. It's worth noting that the only two men in the Bible that are called son of God with a, uh, are Adam and, um, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. And so in Luke 3.38, uh, and it's not capitalized as a proper noun like it is with Jesus, but it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. God had a plan for Adam, but it failed uh, because of sin. Every mention of the phrase son of God refers to the Lord Jesus Christ outside of Luke 3.38. And so our standing as sons of God reveals God's power. So what's happened is God has restored us, and he's restored that image. We are now, uh, it doesn't appear, but we are now redeemed. We are restored. Behold what manner of love the Father has, has bestowed upon us. Our standing of sons of God reveals his power. And so God's ability to translate us into the kingdom of his dear son is something to behold. Colossians says this in chapter 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us to meet to be partakers of of the inheritance of the saints. We've already saw that we're joint heirs with Christ. Now he says there's an inheritance who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That, hasn't, that isn't something that's going to happen. That's something that has happened. 
We are not only heirs, but joint heirs with Christ. That is amazing. He has changed our nature, and he will change our bodies and give us an inheritance in his kingdom. And that is worth, that's why I'm preaching. Because this is so important for you and I to understand as children of God. If you're born again, you need to live like it. That's the bottom line. That's the takeaway. If you're saved, you've got to live like it. You can choose not to, but it will affect your inheritance, right? It will affect the eternal weight of glory. We behold the love the Father hath bestowed upon us so that we can love him back. We can serve him. We can worship him. We can play the role of the obedient son and worship him as we ought. Now, we are the sons of God. We, we don't have to wait until the rapture to experience the power of Christ in our life. That's why Paul says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't appear what we shall be, but Paul describes what it's going to be like in 1 Corinthians 15, 38. He says, but God giveth it a body as it has pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. So he starts with this premise. Not all flesh is the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. He's getting into the DNA composition. There is also celestial bodies, which is heavenly bodies, and bodies terrestrial. So he says not only are there distinctions that you can see on the earth, there's also bodies that function here on the earth, terrestrial bodies, and then there are ones that f- function in heaven, heavenly bodies. And so uh, we can also see those. There's, there's certain bodies up in the, in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, so on and so forth. And so he goes on to say, there is also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. They're different. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon. They're different. Another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory, right? The moon reflects light. The sun gives light. Stars give light. They're light-bearing bearing, uh, uh, being, or they're, they're not creatures, but they're light-bearing um, creation. So, all, uh, it, so also is the resurrection of the dead. This is what he's wanting us to know. He's driving to a point. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, right, in a terrestrial body. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Beloved, that's what you've got on your bones right now. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So we will get a spiritual body to match what's happened on the inside. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. It's amazing. So our standing as sons of God reveals God's plan. See, the passage reveals God's timing. And he says, beloved, now, not tomorrow, but now are we the sons of God. You don't have to wait for the resurrection. We don't have to wait until the rapture to live, like, live in the power and the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the sooner we embrace our spiritual identity, the better off we are. It saves you practically from all this garbage going on in society. You don't have to get caught up in all the drama of, 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 of racial issues and all of that. It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ cuts right through that. And the passage reveals God's mystery. You see, John is referring how we will be changed at his appearing, the rapture of the catching away of the church. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, he says, Behold, another behold verse, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, is the, so when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We just sang about it. We are more than conquerors through Christ. So I used to say this at the mission, you know, I would, and I would mean it, because some of those were some bad boys. I'd say, look, guys, you can kill me right now. But the problem is I'm going to get right back up and come back. I mean, like Freddy Krueger, man. You just can't kill, you can't kill a Christian. I mean, you can kill us temporarily, but the, the promise is the resurrection. We are coming back. So, beloved, this is a great mystery, and it ties into a couple other mysteries. So you see, there, there, so there, we will, there will come a day soon in the fullness of time when the Gentiles come in, we'll be filled up. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus explained it to Nicodemus this way. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Beloved, we are in the, in the business of seeing people born again. If you're born again this morning, your business is to get other people born again. That's what you're here for. You are here to fill up the kingdom of God. 
And, and there's coming a day when it's going to get there. The fullness of the Gentiles spoken of by Paul will come in. In Romans chapter 11, verse 23, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. That's also a mystery. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When the last Gentile gets saved, all those who enter into the spiritual kingdom of God will be come in. And all those Jews or Greeks who have been made a new creature will be born again in his likeness and his image. And that door is going to be shut. And God's going to move on with the kingdom of heaven. And so what, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. There's only one time in history from the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the catching away of the church where someone can simply call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And upon that transaction... Literally, Christ comes in them and seals their soul to the day of redemption. Promises them this DNA change is going to happen at the catching away where their body will be changed. and they'll be res- they'll be, Or if they're dead, their body will be resurrected and they will get a new body that will be a spiritual body. That is, the, that is what happens when you get saved. All of that stuff is happening and it kind of phases out in time as I've laid out. But this is the reality. This is the only time. You know, when God gave Adam or Abraham his, his promise in Genesis twenty two seventeen, he says that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. You know, we all understand Adam is the, or, uh, Abraham is the father of faith, right? He believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. In his faith, he had a promise that his seed would be as the stars of heaven, celestial, and also as the sand of the sea, terrestrial. And beloved, after the rapture of the church, after the catching away of the church, reproduction uh, in the kingdom of heaven is going to happen on a very physical level. Yeah, they'll take of the tree of life and live forever and all of that, but our opportunity to reproduce is not reproducing physical children, though we can reproduce physical children for a time. But ultimately, our job, even if you have physical children, Mitch just preached on a couple weeks ago, what is, your role, what is your ultimate job with your physical children? It's to make them spiritual children. right? It's not enough just to have a baby. It's not enough to raise a baby. What we really want to have is to see our children in eternity with us. We want them to be born again. And beloved, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. We need to make sure we're about the business of our Father. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know why he's bestowed that love on us? So we can give it to others. Man, you're good, class. Thank you. That's why. Why has he bestowed that love upon us? Because you know what? He's trusting you with it. He's trusting you with his love so that you can give it to someone else. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's so incredibly beyond. what I mean, I'm talking about things that I don't even fully grasp yet. I believe them because that's what the Bible says. But the reality is all of that is wrapped up in a package called the simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all you've got to do to receive that is receive Jesus. The Bible tells us very clearly that we're born again by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. These are the promises that we behold and we, be- and we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk about this incredible subject.